I want you to turn your Bibles this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews 10, verse 24. Two weeks ago, I shared a message entitled, Living Life Together. Living Life Together, it was kind of the pattern, the norm of the early church. And I want to do a part two of that message this morning. But let's read our text, Hebrews 10, 24. It says, let us think about each other. Can you say each other? And again, we're talking about the Christian family, the Christian community, the local church, the way it's supposed to be. The church is not like a movie theater where I go and just find a place away from people and remain disconnected from my experience, but I'm a part of a body of believers. Let us think about each other and help, say it with me, each other to show love and do good deeds. In other words, we're to encourage one another to stay on track in the Christian life, to stay focused, to doing that which is right. Verse 25, you should not stay away from the church meetings as some are doing. No different in their day than ours, but he's talking about the value of connecting with other believers. Don't stay away from church meetings, but you should meet together and encourage each other. And then it says, do this even more as you see the day coming. Do this even more as you see the day coming. Now, the day, of course, is referring to the second coming of Christ. So how many know the Bible teaches us that in the last days, evil will become worse and worse? And how many see that around us? Well, if evil's becoming worse and worse, the value of being connected to a body of like-minded Christians is more important. Well, that's kind, of the, that's kind of the gist of it, living life together. And the truth that I've taught you last week was that God wants us connected to other believers. Satan wants to isolate us. Let me say it again. God has a plan that you would be connected to other believers, that you'd have friends, that you would have spiritual covering in your life, that you wouldn't be living alone. But Satan has a very keen intent to isolate you. If he can trap you in sin, if he can get you offended, if he can get you discouraged, uh, lots of ways that he'll try to get you aside. Now, listen, you'll still go to heaven as a believer in Christ, but how many know he makes your journey less effective here on this earth and uh, he, he, he tries to take what's best from you. Well, we're going to continue in that, but it's, it's kind of basic about why in the world do we go to church anyway? Why are you here this morning? Why did you get out of bed? Some came last night, some came earlier this morning, but why did you take a couple hours of your weekend to come with other people? Uh, did you come just for a sermon and a song? Or is there something more? And I suggest to you that there is indeed something more in the Bible. And that something more is that we're connecting with other Christians, other believers, so that we can serve the Lord together as we go through this journey of life. We have purpose. We have something that we do together as believers in the body of Christ. That's why we introduced to you our fall ministry guide. This is like a, a menu in a restaurant. When you go to a menu, of course, you go to a restaurant, you go out to eat at lunch, or you go out to a special dinner, of course, they're going to, you know, you open it up, and there's the appetizers, and there's soup and salad, and, you know, then you look after that, main courses, and if you're like me at lunchtime, you want to know, you know, where's the lunch menu? And even at dinner, you may want to know sometimes, do, does the lunch menu still good? But you're looking at the menu, well, that's what this is. It's a place that we kind of get organizing together where you can find lots of places to connect with other people and serve the Lord. You know, our church Facebook page is taking on another level. If you're not a part of that, join that because we're just, it's a way to become family. Now, I'm going to take the thought of that Facebook page and I'm going to talk about Paul the Apostle's Facebook page. You're looking at me like a cow staring at a new gate. You're saying, preacher, they didn't even have computers back then. I know, but he had the first revision. He had the first introduction of a Facebook page in Romans 16. Romans 16 was where Paul posted about the people in the early church, about what they were like, the kind of people they were. He gave us an example of people that he liked, 
And did you know Paul even said there's some people around that you may need to unfriend? Do, do you, does anyone know how to unfriend anybody? Uh, I, I don't have a clue. Listen, I don't want to unfriend people. I want everybody to be my friend. But I'm going to talk about Paul's Facebook page this morning. And I want to kind of take something that's very, very, you know, a part of modern life today and make it kind of fun and make it kind of special to share a little bit about Facebook. How many have a Facebook page? Let me see your hand. All right. How many don't have one and don't want one? Let me see your hand. Uh-huh. We would like to bring you into the 21st century if you would just kind of join us a little bit. But I have a picture that my daughter was actually seeing my mom in Mississippi, and uh, my daughter found this picture. Do you know who that is? That's me four or five years ago when I, when I went to college. And my daughter had the audacity to say, back in his glory days, to which I replied 300 miles away, I am still in my glory days. But, you know, Facebook is a part of modern, a modern culture. It's the way that we connect with people. It's the way that we say things about people that we care about. Now, yesterday, I, my daughter was in a softball tournament in, in Nashville, and I was just so proud. I wanted to take her picture, you know, and post it in proud dad, tell everybody, she's dad, I'm too busy, I'm playing now. So I kind of missed that opportunity to share with the world just a little bit about what's going on in my life. Uh, we're going to have a little giveaway right quick here. One of the world's biggest chocolate bars. So I want all you Facebook people to think how many friends you have on your Facebook page. Now, I just think just a second. I come up with a number because I don't want you to fudge here. You're going to have to be honest in church. But to the best of your ability, how many people are your friends on Facebook? So I want everybody with 500 or more friends to stand to your feet. 500 or more friends, stand to your feet. All right, it's time for bragging now. Come on. Okay, how many, if you have 1,000, I want you to remain standing. Less than 1,000, sit down. But if you have 1,000, remain standing. Uh, 1,500 or more remain standing. I see Sheriff Prince is still standing back there. I, I guess everybody in jail is his friend now. <clears throat> okay, 1,500. How about 2,000 or more? How many do you have? No, we want you to say. How many? 2,500. 4,600. Around 3,000. Give Sheriff Prince a big hand. God bless you. It pays to be on the Sheriff's Facebook page in case you do something that would, uh, uh, you know, you can just say, look, Sheriff, if the deputy pulls you over, oh, I'm the Sheriff's friend. I'm a real good friend of the Sheriff. He'll say, great, then I'll put the new handcuffs on you. Okay. But Romans 16, kind of funny here, but let's talk about Paul's Facebook friends. And what I'm going to do is we look through the 16th chapter of Romans. You know, you might have read Romans 16 and think, well, that's like a genealogy. I'll just skip over that. You know, but it's not. It's an opportunity where Paul, I want you to see it as Paul posting about people in the church in Rome. Paul wrote this letter far away from them. He had relationship with them. He knew them. And these things that he says about them, I want you to see is like a Facebook post. And we're going to notice not only who he, who, he, who he gave some accolades to, but we're going to see some people that he basically said not much good to say about them. So let's explore it together, and hopefully this will be a, a, a motivation to you to imitate those things that Paul was extolling in the life of fellow Christians. Okay? Let's look. Romans chapter 16, verse 1. 
First, his first post was this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church. Can you say the word servant? servant. A servant of the church. That's the first description in Centrea. For verse 2, she has been a great help to many people, including me. Now, Phoebe was the one likely who delivered Paul's letter all the way to the people in Rome, and, and by way of introduction, she's introducing them. And here's the first thing that he posted about her. She is a great servant. Now, I want you to think with me a moment. Seven times in Romans 16, Paul commended people because they were servants of the Lord, because they worked hard, and because they helped people. And I'll suggest to you this starting place is often missing in modern Christianity. Modern Christianity, we often, our church life is limited to a sermon and a song. But for Paul was commending someone who, who was literally someone who was serving and helping many, many people. Now this word servant, uh, it means a deaconess. In other words, she was a woman that was serving in the life of the church. Followers of Christ in the Bible are called servants of God. Servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. This title was ascribed to many of the writers of the New Testament. Paul, of course, his letters in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, he introduces himself as, I, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. So apostleship was his function, but his heart was one who served the Lord. Now this word servant, it's the Greek word doulos. Some translations call it a slave, a bond slave. It's a word that has negative connotations in our American culture today. We look back on the hideous part of our, of our early years as Americans and the mistreatment of people. Uh, but, but the slave in this particular context simply means one call to serve another person. It is not punishment for the Christian. It is a privilege to serve the Lord. Now, this word again, this bond servant, it was a picture of the one in their day, of course, they didn't have, you know, uh, 100 horsepower motors for their ships, you know, or they didn't have great turbines. They would have men literally in the bottom of the ship. When the wind would not carry it, they would row. And I want you to imagine some of the great battles that you studied about in history that were fought on the Mediterranean and in other places. They'd have these guys in the bottom, and they're rowing. But sadly, most of those people are slaves that are chained against their will in the ship. But that's what Paul is describing himself as, is one that's in the bottom rowing without the chains, one that has chosen to give their life to serving the Lord. Now, here's the best definition that I like of this word servant, is people doing something with their life for Christ. I want you to let that settle in. People doing something with their life for Christ, and seven times it's mentioned on Paul's Facebook page. Let's look at his second post, verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. Now, here we have a, a, a team, a husband and a wife team. You read about them often in the New Testament. My fellow what? workers, my fellow workers, so here we see it again, a servant, a worker, my fellow workers in Christ, and notice this phrase, they risk their lives for me, that is, in the service of the gospel, and not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets where? In their house. See, they didn't have buildings like this, and, and how many know uh, this, this building is not the church? How many know we're the church? We're, we should be living stones built together. So 
they were life group leaders. They had a church that met in their home. Like, we have life groups that meet on Wednesday night. See, we've got a great Wednesday night option for you. We have a service right here where there's prayer and worship and a John Bevere uh, Bible teaching. Uh, we also have classes that are here in the building on Wednesday night. Plus, we've got these 20 life groups in homes. So that's where you can experience community, and they were people like that. But the phrase I want to look at for just a second is that they risked their lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to take too many risks. I think the older I get, the less I want to take. How about you? But, but would you be willing to risk your life for Christ? Uh, let me give you an example. Our, our friends, the Threadgills in Haiti that we were talking about, Jay and Linda Threadgill, they went to Haiti 27, 28 years ago with a suitcase and $300. And 27, 28 years later, they have the largest Christian school on the island. They've planted 25 churches on that small island. Each church has a school that gives the only public education these kids get. Each kid gets a, a meal. You do the little cans that we have, you know, the little change cans you see around. That money goes to feed those kids. And before the earthquake, they were having 8,000 people on a Sunday. They were, they were, uh, they'll have crusades. They might have 25, 40,000 people come to these crusades. So they've literally changed an island in 27 years. But I want you to think about this. They have endured, I don't know the exact number, but six, eight, or ten different government coups on the island. Now, what that means is they don't like the person in power, and somebody else says, I'm taking your job. In America, we have an election. In Haiti, they get their guns and as many people as they can, and they storm the palace. Uh, they begin to burn things in the streets, and you need to get out of there. Well, not too many years ago, I think a couple years ago, before the current president was there, uh, they got to get out of there. So they go to the airport. It's Jay, his wife, and I think their oldest son is probably 22. And they're at the airport waiting to get in the door. It's a huge line of people that are there. A truck pulls up. Imagine a little Chevy, you know, S10 with uh, 600,000 miles on it. And it pulls up with a half a dozen guys with machine guns. Well, what they're there for is they're there to kidnap as many people as they can to ransom you for money and they look around and try to find somebody that looks like it has the appearance of wealth. And here these white people are standing out. Don't have two pennies to rub together, but nonetheless, they're standing there. And they point the gun at the kid and says, get in the truck, we're taking you. They get on their knees and they start crawling through the crowd. And they make it inside the building. And one of their friends that they knew inside got them on an airplane to the Dominican, Dominican to the States. And when the coup was over, guess what they did? Went right back down to Haiti. Now, I don't know what your call may be in life, but I'm going to challenge you in this message. Don't just be a believer. Be a servant that does whatever God calls you to do. If God calls you to go to Africa on a missions team or go on a missions trip or give some large sum of money, any kind of sacrifice, any kind of risk that Christ would challenge us with, Paul would not only say, I like you, but Paul would make some comments on that one. How about that, huh? Come on, give the Lord a good hand there. That was... Priscilla and Aquila, that was a husband and a wife team. Look at verse 5. Greet my dear friend Epinatus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Now, I mean, you know, that's a good thing to, to have as your heritage, the first Christian in the region of Asia, but he says nothing else about him. I don't know why. We'd only have to speculate. But one thing he did say is he was a dear friend. And can I tell you this? Everyone in this room needs a dear friend. You know, I don't know about you, but I had more best friends in high school than I do today. You know, uh, kids today uh, have BFFs. You know what that is, don't you? Best friends forever that they don't even like anymore in three months. But, but, but God, God, this value of having friends to share the journey with. 
Friends, so that if your marriage gets in trouble. Friends, so that if you get discouraged. Friends, so that if you lose your job. Friends, so that if you have a problem with your children. Friends, so that if your spiritual life starts tanking, you're pulled back in the world. You need people that are strong Christians, come on, that share the same values that help us stay focused in the Christian life. And that's supposed to happen in the life of a church. And if you don't have friends, I suggest to you, start being a friend to people. And the more you are a friend, the more friends you'll have. You know, you can't just wait for somebody to like you on Facebook and them to call you and share their candy bar. Who got that? Has he shared that candy bar yet? That was a big old candy bar. If he has 4,000 friends, he ought to share that with at least about 100 of them back there. But it's, it's more than that. It's so important to us in our church that even our mission statement says that we want to connect people to, say it with me, God, friends, ministry in the world. That's another part. Let's look at verse 6. Greet Mary, who, what's it say? Work very hard for you. In other words, she served the Lord by serving people. Christianity is more, how many know, more than just believing. Christianity is following and serving Jesus. Christianity is doing what God's called us to do. Christianity is using our life in service. Um, I, I fear one of the great saddness things of modern Christianity is we are believers and not followers of Christ. Now stay with me on this. You can't work your way into heaven. How many know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? You're saved by, by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. But how many know uh, Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits? What's missing in the American Christian message is, is, is anything about repentance uh, that's turning and following. It's missing in American Christianity that God wants us to be a follower of Christ. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Listen, follow me. If Jesus wants to go to the jails, uh, we have an elder, Joe Williams, and his wife and others go to the jails. Well, Jesus is going to the jail. He says, Joe, come on, I want you to go. And he may call you to go with him. He called Linnell to go to Africa a few weeks ago, and, and she put out a call, and what, 14 people said, come on, I'll go with you, because Jesus is leading us there. It, doesn't the Scripture say, uh, let me read it, in Matthew, where Jesus said these words, Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. So, if Jesus in your world is leading you to Africa, don't you think you need to get on the airplane? If Jesus is leading you to the jail, don't you think you need to go with him? Not as someone that's an occupant there, but someone that goes to visit and then someone that comes out. Uh, Mary Block. Uh, well, where's Mary? Mary's on the front row here. Wave at everybody. Mary leads an outreach to Robinson Courts, kind of Texarkana's inner city. She said a, a few days ago, a few weeks ago, she said, Pastor, we fed 100 people out there, nearly 100 people. And then we got to preach the gospel to them. And, oh, by the way, it was 100 degrees. Uh, uh, it, it, working for Jesus is, is pretty hard. Sometimes I go by the nursery and most times I go by, I see Marty Guerin in there and I see other ladies there. I, something I learned when I had young kids, I can change my kid's diaper, but it's a little more challenging to change your kid's diaper. <laughs> and as all the choir said, well, it's serving. But Mary served the people. Let's keep going. Verse 7, greet Andronicus and Janias, my relatives, listen to this one, who have been in prison with me. Now, mind you, you're going to see as we go through this, some of the people on the page, he just said, like, 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 which means nothing. But these were his comments. 
He said, these folks were in prison with me. So here's my question to you. Do you love Jesus enough so if you ever had to, would you go to jail for him? Do you know it could be possible in America today? Our nation is changing. You see, we usually, when we think about this, do you realize that this every year, 150,000 Christians around the world are martyred for Christ? They die. Most of this happens in Islamic nations. Right now, there's a pastor in jail in Iran. His name is Pastor Youssef. He's been in jail, I think, a couple of years now. They, they, under Sharia law, they want to hang him or they want to take his life. And you know what his crime is? He's a believer in Jesus Christ and he turned his back on Islam. And that's his crime, but he is willing to stay in jail. All he had to do was just deny his faith. Who knows what could happen in America? America just was in great turmoil just a couple weeks ago over a chicken sandwich. Because the, the, the president simply said, not on behalf of the company, but on his own feelings, his own personal opinions as an American citizen with free speech rights, said, I believe marriage should be between a man and a woman. And it's an upheaval in America. People lose business. Come on. There were pickets and there were all sorts of things going on. Do you realize that uh, uh, the Democratic National Convention happening in just a few days, they're about to adopt same-sex marriage in their party platform? Now, don't take that as a political statement. Take that as a moral comment from a preacher. About to adopt same-sex marriage in their party platform, do you realize that uh, they're going to start their convention with two hours of Muslim prayers? But a a Catholic priest asked to pray, and he was denied prayer. Now, please throw away Democrat and Republican stuff for a minute. Just talk about America and some facts, and let a preacher tell you America is battling for her soul about what kind of nation we will become. Listen... Nobody, I don't care if if, uh, Mitt Romney or President Obama or write-in candidate wins, nobody has what it takes to turn this nation around apart from God. Our nation is in deep, 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 deep trouble. But listen, don't push it further along the way. These, If you stand for these issues of truth in our culture today, biblical truth, there could be a price for you to pay. You could lose your job. You may not go to jail, but you could lose your job. There have been Christians in Canada and in Europe who have stood on behalf of traditional marriage. They have gone to jail. I'm telling you, friends, it could be a day in America where you could pay a price. And that would be on the Facebook page, come on, that I think God would say, I'm looking down and I'm proud of you. Give the Lord a a good hand today. But it was here. Keep going. Verse 9. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stiachus. Look at verse 10. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Now, let me say this. Anybody can believe in Jesus. Anybody can believe in Jesus, but are they, not everybody is still standing after adversity. Your Christian testimony. Is Kevin McCartney still here? Where's Kevin? I saw him ushering today. He, he was here. Oh, maybe in the first service. uh, Kevin has been married to Amy, if you know Amy and Kevin McCartney. I wonder how long they've been married. Maybe seven years? Seven, eight years? Nine years? They got married as a young, happy couple in their early 20s, and shortly after that, she began to face debilitating disease, and she has been in hospital and hospital and hospital and hospital and hospital. Uh, After all this time, now listen, 
I mean, you know, you get married and you think, I'm going to have kids and everything is going to be great. We're going to have a happy life. You don't think about having to spend all your money, come on, having to go to doctors and try medicine and, and hurting on the inside, but living that life. But I want to tell you, that woman has more faith than I do. Yeah. I get around her, and I know what pain she endures and goes through, but I hear very few people praise God the way she does. Come on. Most people, if you're sick and you come to the altar and God may touch your life, or you take a Tylenol, or you get a surgery and everything is okay in an hour, a week, two weeks, or a couple months, you're okay. But most people, if they have to endure for a long period of time, come on, don't have the Facebook testimony approved in Christ, still standing strong as a woman, come on, or as a husband standing beside her. And I want to tell you, friends, God applauds people that are still standing when all hell is breaking loose against them. And I want to encourage you in that. Is an example to people standing strong in the face of adversity. And Paul just didn't say, I like it. Paul put a comment on it. I can't even figure out on my phone now how to figure out who likes my comments. I can see the last, uh, last couple. You're probably brainier than I am, but they changed the software so much I can barely keep up with it. But when somebody makes comments about something I put up, I'm going to read that. Now, this is what these scriptures are telling us. There's a difference between a like and a comment. And Paul is saying these comments are people that we should imitate. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 11. A great Herodian, my relative. That's all he said. Basically, he's saying, my cousin goes to church there. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> Thank God cousin's in church. But he doesn't say anything. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. So here we got a whole family that are Christians. He didn't say anything there either. So here's my question. They're Christians, but apparently Paul had nothing good, not one good comment to say about them. And the application of this message is, what would Paul, if he was the Facebook administrator of our church, what would he say about you? Or, or what, what, what about your life is commendable? To the Lord. I look at Karen over there, and Karen has joined my wife in, in missions work, but what she does is she's committed to help raise money. So all these trips we take, everybody can't, you know, afford a trip to Africa and things. And, and so she gets together and they cook food and they do fundraisers and things because she carries a burden, but she realizes because of her parenting responsibility and being a single mom and all those things, that's, that's, what, that's what living life together is about. But that's what, what, what matters in the Christian life. Look at verse 12. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. I should get a raise for being able to pronounce all these names. Gee, why can't they just call them like Bob and George? Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend, another friend, Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Now, isn't it amazing that most of the hardworking people in the Roman church were women? I see a lot of ladies clapping out there. A lot of guys are looking at me like, why didn't I go somewhere else today? But I'm telling you... They need to look at kids' zone. Who's in kids' zone and baby zone? Most of the women. I'm going to get to that in a minute, honey. You remind me when I talk about verse 13. I, it's in my notes. Serving the Lord and ministering to people is not always easy. 
not always easy. Uh, the youth had a lock-in a few weeks ago kind of to kick off school. My 12-year-old buddy, she was ready to go and excited. Now, she slept for two days after that, but yeah. she didn't sleep a <laughs> wink that night. And, uh, okay, that's cool for a kid. But how about the 40-year-old that was out there, kind of the house mom? I mean, look, when you're 18 and you're, you're going to, you know, you're out at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, you know, it's okay as long as you can sleep the next day, or you drink Red Bulls or something. They're bad for you too, by the way. You do know that, don't you? Okay, well, anyway, but if you're staying up with those kids just because you love those kids, I want to tell you, it is hard work. Yeah. I watched Sharon last week, Pastor Mike's wife, and I saw her on a Wednesday night, and she was coming down the hall. She was, you know, taking pictures and things. I said, where are you going? She said, oh, some kid threw up upstairs. Well, how many know we don't have anybody in charge of throw up around here? I mean, it just kind of, it just kind of, working hard. Come on. It's a part of the fabric of, 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 of what we do. Working hard is an expectation, serving the Lord, because that's what matters for all eternity. You look at Mylon over there. Mylon, wave your hand to everybody. Mylon's an old rock and roller, but, but Mylon is a drummer, and uh, he, he, he has some, some issue with his hands. I, want you, I don't know exactly what it is, but imagine you know, an arthritic-type condition and, and can't hold the drumstick sometimes, but because he so loves playing for Jesus, he'll tape his hand to the stick. Now, now, you can think, oh, why don't you just get another drummer? Well, why don't we just get some more tape and why don't we pray? Come on, come on. But, but isn't, it, isn't it, this is living life together. See, see, the church experience is not just filled with fun. You know, as we go, sometimes challenges face our way. And Paul said, you know what, I'm writing comments on these because these are people that not only that I notice, come on, these are people that help the church stay strong, but these are people that God is proud of. And listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 25, 21. Jesus said, well done, good and faithful. Sir. Stop right there. Jesus is talking about reward in heaven, and he's saying, good and faithful servant. You've been... Faithful with a little bit, I'm going to put you in charge of many. John 12, 26, my father will honor the one who serves me. Now, isn't that a powerful thing? Put it on the screen there. My father will honor the one who serves me. Let's keep going. Verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Now, that's a good thing to be chosen in the Lord, but not much else. But notice, greet his mother who has been a mother to me. Now, I don't know how old Paul was, but let's say he was 40-ish. He's a 40-year-old man saying, I needed a mom. Now, I don't know if Paul couldn't sew or if he couldn't cook or I don't know what, you know, his problem was. But for some reason, a 40-year-old man needed a mom because his mom wasn't there. I'm 55, and I still need the influence of a father. I wish I got it all from my father, but you know what? At 55, I'll take any father will do if somebody just, you know, are you with me? This is a powerful, powerful thought because some of us think that ministry happens behind a pulpit or in a church building. But what Paul was saying is Rufus's mom took care of me, and that is serving the Lord. Come on, that's worthy of a Facebook post to give honor to a woman that could have easily been skipped over. I'm telling you, there is value here. You can be a spiritual mom and dad to people. My wife, as she just mentioned, in kids, you realize in kids' zone for your children, nursery and elementary age kids, uh, 67 people every week need to serve those children to keep them in a safe environment, but to also keep some rotation in what we do. 67 people, you say, well, I don't want to. It's an opportunity to have an influence on a life. 
Some of those kids don't have a mom. They don't have a dad. Some of them have a single parent that is just struggling to survive. Come on now. Some of them are bullied at school. Some of them are, are struggling because they don't fit in at school. They just need somebody to love them and somebody to care about them. Look, you can get involved in helping in that area. And you don't have to do it every week. We'll get a good rotation. But I'm telling you, there's a way to help people. I heard a young man this week tell Pastor Joe, he said, you've been like a father to me. See, that's what, that's what this Christian life is about. It's not just going to Bible school and dedicating out, but it's about investing your life in the lives of people. A parent, 2 Timothy 1.5, you may say, well, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I'm just, I'm just a mom. I'm a grandmother. Listen, for 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul said to Timothy, now think about this. Timothy, scholars believe, obviously he was Paul's successor, but scholars believe that Timothy became the pastor of the church in Ephesus and it had some 50,000 members in it. Here's his start. I remember your faith, genuine faith, Timothy. You share the faith that first filled your grandmother, Lois, and then your mother, Eunice. So the greatest, greatest, greatest spiritual opportunity is first with those children that you influence on a daily basis. Come on. After that, make room for other kids, but don't ever, don't ever neglect the ones God gave you. Give the Lord a good hand there. I need, need to wrap up. If you'll give me five extra minutes. Anybody give me five minutes today? Five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty. Okay, I don't need that many. Just, 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 just five extra. Look at verse 17. Now it shifts a little bit. Do you know that Paul unfriended people who were causing division in the church? Think about this. Look at verse 17. Watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. And then what does it say? It says, keep away from them. Stop just a second. You say, well, that's mean. I don't think it's mean. I think it's protecting, come on, the body of Christ. And what it's saying is division is destructive. But he's going to keep going here. And I want you to kind of think of this as unfriending somebody. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites. For by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Now look at verse 19, the connection. I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is... So now we're connecting the one who sows discord in a church to evil. But look, the next step. Verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush underneath your feet. So Satan somehow uses his evil influence to cause a person to sow discord and division. And Paul said, you need to take care of that because, because division destroys. Division is Satan's tool to destroy churches because a house divided against itself. And for the church in Rome, they, uh, there wasn't Baptists and Methodists and Assemblies and Indenominational, Independent and blah, 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 Pentecostal. And this. There weren't all those churches. There was one church of Christians in Rome. And Satan knew that if he could extinguish their light through division, he would destroy it. How many have been around church life sometimes where there's been division? Yeah, it's not nice. It's not good. But here's what Paul's injunction is. He, he's talking about them, how to handle this. Well, the first statement I would make is, is, unity is the place where God blesses. And if we stay in unity here at Church on the Rock, God will give us an ability to influence more people in our community. I guarantee you, if the church was doing its job, uh, our sheriff would have less to do. 
There, w- there wouldn't be robbery and shootings in, in Wake Village. Come on, I used to live there. There wouldn't be a shooting across the street from one of our church members if that person had been reached for the gospel. Come on. There wouldn't be drug dealers wouldn't be dealing drugs. They'd be passing out tracts if the gospel is going out like it should. I mean, listen, if churches are doing what they're called to do, if this church gets together, plus with other churches around the country, we'll have a big church building in Haiti and they'll continue to pound against the gates of hell down there. But if Satan can divide and destroy... Listen, and he wants to do it, and he wants to do it through people. But let me say this to you. Ephesians 4, 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. What does that mean? Work at it. Don't just let yourself unlike somebody because it's easy. And here's the deal. Don't ever let yourself get in a position where you have to be unfriended. Jesus said these words to us because, you see, when conflict happens... When offense happens in a church, the common response is, I quit. It's not just church. That's what happens on ball teams, schools, best friends forever, BFFs, marriages, companies. I don't like it. I'm out of here. That's what culture does. It quits. It gets offended. It gossips. It takes on another person's offense. See, I don't even have to do anything to you. I just do something to your friend and then you're mad at me. Jesus has a better way. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 23. When you offer your gift to God at the altar, now, their temple, the Jewish temple, but it's like saying this, when you go to church. The application to us, when you go to church and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, you're not even having a problem with it. But you know somebody else is hurt. Somebody else is offended. Somebody else is whatever. Even though you're okay, Scripture says, Jesus said, leave your gift there at the altar and go and do what? Make peace with that person and then come and offer your gift. So I don't even have to be... And let me tell you what I feel like doing when I get crossways with somebody. I just said, I never saw you again. I just soon you hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back. And you would too. Because it's a whole lot easier to deal with a conflict and an offense by getting rid of it than doing the hard work of reconciling. Jesus said something else in Matthew 18, 15. If another believer sins against you, put it on Facebook. Your mama needs to take your Facebook away from you if you do that. No, Jesus said go privately and point out the offense. Everybody say privately. And if the person listens and, con- listens and confesses, you've won that person back. Which the whole object and the whole goal, come on, is to win people back. The whole goal is to reconcile. The whole goal of a marriage is husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church because the world is watching. And the fact, you know, Jesus said the world would know we're his disciples by what? By the cross around our neck. Jesus would know we're his disciples by our church membership card. No. Jesus would know we're his disciples by the quarterly giving statement. No. Jesus would know we're his disciples by the love we have one to another. And I'm telling you, love is not always ooey-gooey. Love, come on, is patient, it's long-suffering, it's kind, it's forgiving, it doesn't take offense. Come on, it's not puffed up. And give the Lord a good hand. And I'm done this morning. Don't unfriend your friends. Do what Jesus said and go after them and try to bring them, bring them back. Well, I'm going to close. Proverbs 22.1. It's an interesting scripture. Proverbs 21 says, Choose a good reputation over great riches.
being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. Everybody say, choose a good reputation. Isn't that what a lot of Facebook is about, is about reputation? You know, one of our, uh, Gary, uh, I think, uh, Gary posted this week, he'd worked at Cooper for 40 years, and I just posted and said, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you. And, you know, that's a big, big thing, yeah. to work hard for a living in one place for 40 years. Well, you know what? Uh, a good reputation, the Bible says, is more important than the kind of car you're driving. And what is a good reputation? A good reputation is what Paul was saying about people on Facebook. That's right. Not the ones he omitted. And think of how many people didn't even get their name in there. But it was the one that he described as a hard worker, as a servant, come on, as a mother to me. So if Paul were to be our page administrator, if he were to kind of show up here and he would say, I can take over that, I'm a computer whiz, what would he write about you? What would he write about you in terms of the community of believers? Would he describe you as someone that's faithful? Would he describe you as a good friend? Would he describe you as a mother, a father to other people? Would he say that you're a hard worker? Would he say the first word about you is that you're a servant of the Lord and you serve the Lord by serving people? I don't know. I'm asking. Because there's a more important question. is not just what Paul would say. It's what does God say about you? I want to suggest to you that one day, as you and I stand before God on that great day, you know, there's going to be two judgments. One's in Revelation, I think it's 21, and the book of life is opened. Well, listen, all that matters on that day is that you're on Jesus' Facebook page. How many know that you're a believer in Christ? But then there's what's called the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. It's Corinthians that talks about that, where one day believers will stand before God, and it won't be a heaven or hell judgment, it'll be a rewards judgment. And is it just possible that maybe an angel is keeping a Facebook page on you? I mean, how in the world is God going to remember everything we've did, done? Come on, every vain word that's said, he knows every hair on our head. But somehow God is keeping track, and somehow God is posting and watching you. Every dollar you put in the Bible globe, every time you serve in the nursery, signing up for Kids Zone, being a life group leader, sharing your faith, coming for prayer on a day that's not comfortable, fasting, sacrificing, giving money for Haiti or whatever it is, taping your hand to a drumstick one more time. Isn't it just possible that God is watching those things and one day He wants to say to you, come on, well done, good and faithful. Give the Lord a big hand. I'm going to say Why don't you stand to your feet today? I'd like to, like to pray for you. Seriously, I hope many of you will think this is a way that you can be a servant to our church. Start going Saturday night. I, I think if I wasn't the preacher, I'd go Saturday and have all day off Sunday. Or come 9 o'clock on Sunday. Come a little earlier and have more of your day. That would help us. Just do it for a couple months. But uh, I, I, I want to pray for you now. I, I want to ask this question before we pray. And you don't have to come to the altar or say anything to anybody, but... It's always important that we respond to what we hear. Otherwise, we just accumulate biblical information and become more accountable. But the Bible tells us to be not just a hearer, but a what? A doer of the Word of God. So I wonder if the Holy Spirit has nudged you this morning in the message in some way that you need to be more connected to the body of believers. Here or somewhere else. Wherever your church home is supposed to be, you need to get there. If it's not here, you need to get where it is. But if it's here and the Holy Spirit has nudged you to get more connected, or maybe He's nudging you that you need to start serving, would you just lift your hand? You don't have to say anything. You don't have to sign anything, do anything. But I just want to give you a chance to respond to God to this message. You've kind of felt in the context of the message that God is just nudging. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, dozens of people. 
Lord, we just want to offer ourselves to you, every one of us. I just want to slip up my hands right now, hands of gratitude that are grateful for every, all the kindness you've shown me that I don't deserve, but the great privilege to be a bondservant of Christ, the great privilege to be entrusted with a gift from the Holy Spirit, the great privilege to be able to reach people and, and, and serve and work and give and love and, 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 and be a mother and be a father and all these great privileges that we have as believers today. We're just honored to be in your ship paddling the way you want us to go. So I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would help all of us to be the person you want us to be. So on that great day, you'll say, well done. We're going to close with a prayer around the altar this morning. I sure hope, if you're new in our church, that you'll come Wednesday night to that Connect class. That's the best way I can tell you how we can help you make your journey into the life of our church. Stop by that Connect room anytime. you Let us help you make that step in. in. Our prayer team is going to come up in just a second, and, and I want to offer prayer this morning. You could be here, and, and, and maybe something in the message sparked something in you. Maybe it was the fact that, you know, you, you had a, a hurt in church a long time ago, and you've not been able to get over it, and maybe you need to forgive somebody, and you want to just come to the altar and offer that to God. I don't know what it may be, but if you have need of anything this morning, and you missed the early prayer in particular, I want to invite you to come. If you need to get your life right with God, if you don't know if you're going to heaven or hell, let, us, let somebody talk to you. If, if you need, you've walked with God before but gotten away, let somebody help you get back on track this morning. But we're going to sing this song through one time. Pastor, why don't you just go ahead and pray. And our prayer team is going to come around the altar. And if you need prayer for anything, you just slip out of the altar right now and, and let us pray for you. God bless you. I love you. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, Lord willing, I'll see you Wednesday night and next weekend. Come, we're going to pray for you.